0: Lord, as we stand here together, we just want to stop for a second and say amen. Because only in Christ do we find the power to do all that we just say. And I pray that that would be true. Pray for those here today who are hurting. I thank you for our song this morning and the reminder that you heard us when we cried out. Lord, would you come and meet us, Holy Spirit, each and every one of us, exactly where we're at. And would you break strongholds? Would you tear down fear and anxiety? Would you remove everything that is getting in our way? Would you meet us in that place today? And I pray, Holy Spirit, that the name of Jesus Christ would be lifted high and that our eyes would be opened afresh to see his beauty today. Would you do that for us, we ask. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now you can sit down. Sorry, one more announcement. I had uh, this as a reminder. We forgot to announce we have our benevolent today. So um, we didn't remind everybody when we passed the plates, but if we could do that in the back, you've got the little envelope. And just in case you're not sure, when we do communion, we take benevolent. Uh, long story around that going way back into the Old Testament. I won't do that right now, but uh, the idea here of letting the overflow of our giving go out into our community, so our immediate community and the community around us to meet some tangible needs, and we have a lot of those happening right now. And so um, if you uh, feel led and moved by the Spirit to join in that, you can grab that envelope, and we'll, I don't know, put it back on with the people in the cookies or something. I don't know. We'll just figure that out somehow at the end. It's good. Oh, sorry. And one other announcement. I heard on my social media feeds that um, Taylor Swift is attending an Usher concert tonight. I don't know if anybody else heard that. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry. (laughs) I was sitting there going, should I say something or not? I think I just got the answer. Anyway, it's good. I I may or may not have a Kansas City Chiefs t-shirt underneath this shirt. Um, That's fine. We can talk later for those of you who are concerned about me. I was born and raised in the great metropolis of Kansas City and look forward to celebrating their third Super Bowl in four years tonight. Um, So it's good. Um, It's great. Good to be with you and uh, good to be back in God's word together. We are Picking up where we left off last week, and I think you're going to be really glad that I paused when I did, because we would have been here for a while, and uh, really wanted to make sure that we gave ourselves lots of time um, to get through this passage. Matthew chapter 5, if you want, you can open up there. We're in verses 17 through 20, and uh, really Jesus making a point here of saying, the law is good... And it always has been. But it really depends on what you do with it. So how you view and live out the law of God will either bring you a great, abundant spiritual life, or it will bring misery and worse. Kind of a big deal. Uh, We talked about this main point that our righteousness being right before God is only possible through Christ's righteousness. You can't do it in your own strength. Your faith is only possible because Jesus has already been faithful. It's really about him. We can't be righteous. We can't be holy. We can't be faithful because we're a little more special than the next person around us or because we got a little something extra inside of us. You've got nothing. Isn't that encouraging? Crazy message. We also talked briefly about the inside out way of Christ. And we want to dig a little bit deeper into that this week. Uh, And the idea though, that only as the Holy Spirit forms more of Christ's faithfulness inside of us will we be able to do what he just asked us to in the previous passage, to shine the light and to be the salt. And so these are some important reminders as we dig back into this passage and we pick up 17 through 20 uh, and understanding that these four verses, these four verses will either Make or break your discipleship. And I said that last week, maybe in different words. I know that's really strong. And it is, because it's true. You need to pay attention to these four verses. Jesus is laying down something absolutely crucial and fundamental to being a follower of Jesus. And how we view this, how we understand it, is going to make or break our discipleship, Christ. And I don't mean you have to understand it perfectly. I don't mean you have to master it. Please don't take that further than you need to. But I also don't want to fudge around the reality here of how important these verses are, and especially as we come to verse 20. So let me just read that Matthew chapter 5. Follow along with me here. Verse 17, we'll read 17 through 20. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. in verse 20, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you, cert- you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. It's a strong statement. What do we mean, enter the kingdom of heaven? We use words like salvation, eternal life, forever with the Lord, whatever terminology that you want to use there. I left off last week, and if you missed last week, I really encourage you to go back and catch it, because we are building on where we started last week in this passage. It's all connected. But I left off with this statement. When you understand and live out the true purpose of the law fulfilled in Christ— you will uncover the mystery and the majesty of his kingdom. And so we want to pick up there, verse 20. Let's just dig in. What did Jesus mean when he said, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven? What is he getting at? And just stop for a second and think. If I can pull us back in once again, to the actual context. Sometimes we get in sermons and we forget that this actually happened in real life and there's a whole story going on here, right? Jesus is sitting up on the north side of the Sea of Galilee, probably just outside of Capernaum where Peter had his fishing business. He's down at the bottom of a hill and up the hill are thousands of Jewish people from the countryside. I don't know if peasants the right term, whatever you wanna call it. These would have been people who worked in agriculture and different things. Worked hard just to survive. Did their best to be good Jews and faithful to God. And Jesus is standing before them and he says, Hey guys, you know the Pharisees and the scribes. Those are the guys that since they were little kids have been memorizing the Bible. They've been memorizing Torah and the law. They've become experts in it. And they're like the guys that are like the best at actually doing the stuff. They spend their entire life. That's what they're paid to do. They spend all day, every day, except for Sabbath, digging in to the law. And Jesus tells these people, if your righteousness doesn't surpass theirs, you don't get into heaven. How would you think that they receive that? (laughs) Like, think about that for a second. Wait a second. So Jesus, you're saying, I have to put in more time and more energy into memorizing and obeying the law than those guys? How am I supposed to do that? How am I supposed to do that and feed my family? I don't have the time for that. I have to fish. I have to, to farm. I have to do the things I can only imagine how deflating this must have come across in that culture for those who did not have the ears to hear what Jesus was really saying because that's actually not what Jesus meant. In fact, it couldn't be more further from the truth. In fact, what Jesus was actually saying was more scandalous than that because here's what Jesus was saying. See these guys that have spent their whole life memorizing and studying and becoming experts in the Bible and experts in theology and experts in philosophy and experts in obedience and creating more rules around it to make sure that we don't mess up the ones that God already gave us. Those guys aren't actually going to be in heaven. That's the scandal. That's the crazy thing that Jesus is saying here. That's what he's getting at. We... Read last week from John 5, verse 39 of John 5. Jesus is talking to the same, same group of guys he's talking about, the Pharisees and the scribes, the experts in the law, the Torah, the Bible. And he says, you guys think that the book saves you. You think the book gives you eternal life. But you've missed the point. The book points to me. I am the one who saves you. I'm the one that you find life in. And in verse 38, John chapter 5, look what Jesus says. We, we read this last week and we kind of went over it. He, he makes a really crazy statement God's word does not dwell in you, experts of the word. It's all out here, it's not in here. And then you wonder why they crucified him. <laughs> Can you imagine? Can you imagine you're a scribe or a Pharisee, and you have spent your entire life, almost all of your waking minutes, studying the Word, becoming an expert in the Word, and this rabbi out of nowhere comes along and says, yeah, you missed it, you actually aren't even saved. You don't even have the Word in you. I can understand why they'd be ticked. But this is what's happening in this scene. Jesus is not adding more legalistic requirements to the law. He is actually making the law attainable for the first time in their lives. Guess what? You don't even have to be an expert in it. And guess what? Even more important, I am going to do all the hard work for you this is what Jesus is saying. This is the message that he is telling them. I think to fully understand this, we have to continue to understand the inside-out way of Jesus Christ. The inside-out way of Jesus Christ. The Pharisees' faith was outside-in. And Jesus says, Sorry, but you're not actually in as a result of that. You've read and memorized and studied and obeyed the letter of the law, but you've missed it completely because it's just all out here. It's not in here. Their faith was based on themselves. Self-sufficiency. Hey, we'll memorize it, we'll study it, We'll create the Mishnah. We'll create 600 more rules just to make sure that we don't mess up the originals. And in doing that, they prided themselves in being more righteous than anybody else. What do we call that? Right, self-righteousness. You don't have to go to church to understand the term self-righteous, do you? We all get that one. Who do they think they are? Self righteous? They think they're holier than thou? That's where the term came from. They thought they could do the law in their own strength. And what's going to be the result of that? What's going to be the result? The result of self sufficiency will be self righteousness, arrogance. I am better. For Jesus, to say it again, faith is always inside, then out. Inside, then out. And just in case you might think Jesus created that and brought it with him when he came to earth, that's not true either. That has been true since Genesis chapter 1. Since Genesis chapter 1, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit always inside out. Always. It's not like the Old Testament was outside in, Jesus doing a new thing, hey guys, catch up. No, 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 They have missed the truth the whole time. It's always been inside up. David got this. Psalm 51, King David. Verse 16. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I'd bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. Now just pause for a second. The sacrifices and burnt offerings David is talking about are the sacrifices and offerings that God himself commanded them to give. And David goes, that's not actually what you want, though. What does he want? My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, God, will not despise. Heart inside has to dictate the outside. Sacrifices and the obedience has to come from this kind of heart or they are pointless and meaningless. The prophet Isaiah, chapter 66, says this to the Israelites. These are the ones I look on with favor. This is the prophet speaking God's word to them. So this is God speaking. These are the ones I look on with favor. Pay attention, this is what makes God happy with us. Ready? Ready? those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. But whoever sacrifices a bull, something God commanded, is like one who killed a person. Wait a second. That's like right up there in the Ten Commandments, right? We're not supposed to, okay. And whoever offers a lamb, command of God, is like one who breaks a dog's neck. Whoever makes a grain offering, God's command, is like one who presents pig's blood. You don't have to know much about Jewish culture. No, that's a giant no-no. Whoever burns memorial incense is like one who worships an idol. What's the first command? No other gods before me. They have chosen their own ways, and they delight in their abominations. I mentioned last week in the Ten Commandments, when you understand the depth of the ancient Hebrew of thou shalt not, you understand that what God is really saying is if you look to me, and you look to me and how beautiful I am, I am the true husband that will protect you and provide for you. If you look to me, you won't want all the other stuff. You won't want to put your faith in other things and other people, idols. You won't want to murder. You won't want to take stuff that doesn't belong from you. That's just a few from the Old Testament. That's been the truth since the beginning. It's always heart out. You don't change the actions to change the heart, you change the heart to change the actions. But catch the craziness of this. What Jesus is saying is you can even do holy good things and they're still wrong when the heart is wrong. This is the part I think we struggle with the most. This is the part they struggle with the most. How, how can Jesus come and say these guys that do all the things right are wrong? God told them to do the things. How can that be wrong? We struggle with this today. I can get up here and preach, and my heart can be completely off. I can tell someone about Jesus, and Paul even says, hey, at least, at least they talked about Jesus, even though their motives are off. But for me and my relationship with Christ, I'm off. The heart is the part that matters. Not the words, not the actions. Matthew 23, Jesus speaking, woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees. Same group. You hypocrites." You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Wow. That seems crazy that that could be possible, but it is. most important piece of Jesus' message in this whole thing. You will never have what it takes to measure up. You will never be sufficient enough to do what I've asked you to do. You can't do it in your own strength. To be righteous, to be faithful to the law, is completely dependent on me being righteous for you your faith is completely dependent on me being faithful for you anybody else come to this place and ask the question so then what's my purpose <laughs> like what's my job in the whole thing like if i'm useless like what's the point Any, i don't anybody else i i know that's where my mind goes but this has messed people up for thousands of years. And it's still doing it. In fact, Jesus said, hey, listen, when you preach the good news, it's not gonna always be received well. We already talked about that, right? Why? Because our hearts are so backwards that when we hear freedom, we hear slavery. We're so broken. And the good news of Jesus comes and says, hey, listen, The choices you're making, and when you put your will and your desires up at the top, it's killing you, even though you think it's the way to go. But if you put that to the side and actually do the stuff that I'm asking you to, it'll be really hard, but you find life and life abundantly. He says, this message for the Jews is offensive, and for the Greeks is foolishness. You can understand why, can't you? Who wants someone to come and say, hey, you're useless? Well, thank you. I mean, let's be honest, especially in the 21st century that we now live in. What has been the message for the past 20, 30 plus years? You can be anything. You can do anything. And yet, we're realizing It's a lie. And I think that lie has done more damage to this generation than anything else. I'm sorry, friends, you actually can't be anything. You can't do anything. I tried so hard, the amount of wall sets I did in grade nine so that I could dunk a basketball and I still can't get up there. Man, did I wanna be in the NBA. Man, do I wish I could get on the field with the Chiefs tonight. Mm. Let's go! No, it's all right. I'll come up here and talk to you guys every week instead.
1: It's an offensive
0: message to our broken minds. But it is the point and the key to all things discipleship, all things following Christ. It starts with an acknowledgement. I can't do it. That's a hard thing to own. That hits the depth of my pride. Isaiah 66, 2. These are the ones I look on with favor. Those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. The Pharisees believed the ones that God looks on with favor are the people who go overboard to make sure they do all the stuff right. And all the way back to their own prophets that they weren't catching. No, that's actually not true. The one who pleases God is the one that acknowledges they can't please God. Does that sound familiar? Blessed are the poor in spirit, what's, what's he looking for? A humble heart, poor in spirit. there is a glorious freedom. When we realize we don't have enough to please God, do you know the weight that comes off of that? Like literally the moments in my life where this has become more and more true, I actually felt like I went like a, an inch or two higher. I just, you could feel it come off. As much as my pride wants to think I can do it, it is a weight I cannot carry. And it's a weight you can't carry. No one can, but Jesus. Blessed are the poor in spirit. The freedom that comes when we stop trying to be Perfect when we stop trying to get it all right, when we stop trying to keep up the appearance of freedom and and perfection. Those who are contrite in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn, mourn at sin, owning the places we have not put God and his desires first in our lives. greatest trick of the enemy is to make us think, if we got honest about our sin, it'll destroy us. People will reject us, push us away, and unfortunately that's been true in the past. But in Christ, he's very clear. When we bring our sins to the surface, the sun burns it away. Darkness leads to slavery and captivity, but openness, ownership of the places where I have not made it, where I have missed it, brings freedom, and it brings healing. Contrite spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. What does he mean by tremble at his word? The fear Of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom, of all knowledge. It's the beginning of Proverbs, Psalms, I think all of the above, somewhere in there. When you hear the word fear God, what happens inside of you? Fear? (laughs) Like human fear? Like, oh my goodness, he will strike me down. Can I just help us? Just a little reminder. Every time God talks about fear and the holy fear... Here's what it means. Put him first. That's it. Put him first. That's what it means to fear the Lord. That's what it means to tremble at his word. It means your words, your desires for me bring life. Yours and yours alone. And so everything else that I think will bring me life, idols, I'm going to put down here because I want you to be at the top. That's what it means to tremble at his word. That's what it means to fear the Lord. Sorry. This thing is going crazy. How's it going? It's good. All right. Cool. That was just a A moment. That's good. You had a few minutes to think. Okay. Tremble at his word. The one who is humble, contrite in spirit, and trembles at my word is the one who pleases me. Not the one who's perfect, not the one who strives harder. So stop striving so hard. This is the key of our discipleship. My job is to focus on the root, not on the fruit. This is the inside-out way of Christ. Focus on the root, my heart. In my heart, in my will, am I humble? Am I willing to own and be honest about the places that I can't do it? Am I contrite? Can I hand those over? Do I fear his word? Have I put his will above my own? That's Your job. That's my job. That's where we focus. And here's the crazy thing. Jesus gave you his Holy Spirit to even help you with that part because we're still even broken when it comes to that. But that's our part. Listen. And then where he says, hey, listen, you actually have other words. You have other people. You have other things above God in this place in your life. Okay, I confess that. I don't want that. I renounce that. I put that down here. Jesus, please come take over again. And we walk in that truth. Holy fruit is what the Holy Spirit produces when our hearts are humble, contrite, and surrendered to the will of Christ. When I come to Christ with this heart, aware that I have nothing in me to make him love me more, that I can do nothing to make him love me more, this is where he grabs hold of me and does not let go. And this is where his Holy Spirit moves in and produces the fruit of his character in me. And this is where the Holy Spirit comes in and produces the fruit of good works around me. Humble, Contrite, surrendered to his will. How are we doing? This is a lot to take in. I've been praying like crazy that the Holy Spirit continues to make this so clear because it's so important. And we got to learn how to work this out with him. Verse 20. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven is huge. And it's also going to be the key to properly understanding the rest of the message, the rest of the sermons, because Jesus isn't saying, Hey, no more commands. No, no, no. The importance is He's got words for us, He has commands for us. But we've got to get it in the right order. We have to understand them. If we're coming like the Pharisees did where we think it's all out here and I gotta just hear it, write it down, and then just keep doing it. I'll do it. Oh, I messed up. Well, God, keep doing it. Jesus' commands will destroy you. When you don't understand how it works, Jesus' commands will actually destroy you. But when you understand what he's actually saying, who he is and what he has done, it will give you life. It will give you a Holy Spirit power to do the thing that you can't do. That's why this is so important. When he starts talking about murder next week, if you don't get this, man, it is going to crush you. Because I'll just give you the message right now. It's pretty simple. Old Testament, I said, don't murder people. What I'm saying to you now, the, the real truth of the law is this. When you get angry at someone and you can't forgive them, you've already killed them. You've already broken the commandment. Ah! Oh, if you don't understand Jesus' part in this, that is going to crush you. It's impossible. But when you understand it, it is possible. Through his authority, through his Holy Spirit. This is big. This is really big. And when we get it wrong, I predict probably one of two things is going to happen. You're either going to be one of those people in your temperament and experience where you will become the new Pharisee. Maybe you already have. You're going to create some extra rules around the original rules to make sure that you don't screw it up. And you're going to strive because you're a perfectionist. And you got to get it right. And you are going to be egg- exhausted. Or maybe you've been there, you've tried it, and you realize this is impossible. And so you're just going to quit trying altogether. That tends to be the two things that happen when we don't get this right. Which one are you? I mean, let's be honest. Every one of us is gonna struggle with one of those or maybe both. Which one do you struggle with most? I need to pull this together. Just a little bit of application here. I'm sure there's lots more, but just a few things that stood out for me. And I'm asking this question for us. Have we also missed point of the law? Have we also missed the point of the law? What is our version of Pharisaism or legalism when it comes to Christ's law, when it comes to his words, his commands? Here's one. Bibliodolatry. That's a fun word. What am I talking about? Have we turned the book into an idol like the Pharisees did? Where they thought, as long as I just read the pages and do the stuff then God will be pleased with me and it'll all be okay. I wonder if we have our own version of bibliodolatry. (laughs) Have we turned the Bible? What does Jesus say to them? You think the book saves you. There's only one person, one thing. Well, it's not a thing. It's a person who saves you. It's Jesus. The point of the book is to point you to him. And when we get lost in the book, we get lost and that sounds crazy I'm a Baptist preacher I'm supposed to tell you like this is and I am don't don't misunderstand me I am in no way saying this book is not important this is our foundation but only as far as it does its job the way Jesus intended it to to point us to him Bible study is head knowledge and not life change is not life. It's not discipleship. And there's two places to note here. First is this. Information without application is death. Information without application is death. When we think we can just memorize the words, study the pages, and just sterilely obey the, the words in our own strength, We're done. In fact, I would say most of the time we don't actually obey it. We just talk about it. Well, this is what it says. And don't get me wrong, I could talk with the best view. I can stay up here in the theories and the theologies and the doctrines and the philosophies. I like it way too much. But it's not the point. Matthew 7 24. Everyone who hears these words of mine puts them into practices like a wise man who built his house on the rock. You know what that verse is? That is the end of this sermon. He says all this stuff, and he gets in, and what does he say? He goes, hey, you know who's wise? Like the wise guy who builds it. Let me you grew up singing the song, right? The wise man built his— Anyway, the wise guy is the one who hears the words and puts them into practice. Information without application is dead, and it brings death. James 1, 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Jesus isn't saying, hey, see the Pharisees? They just keep doing the stuff, doing the stuff. Stop doing stuff. It's not what he's saying. He's saying, get it in the right order. Don't do it in your own strength. And that's where we come to this point. Application without faith is dead. And it brings death. What do I mean by that? Application without faith is death. Some of you have heard me talk about this before. I think through my teen years I had kind of a weird path. I was sort of doing my own thing. Not that I was like really crazy or anything but I was just doing my own thing. God pulled me back in. Started thinking about ministry. I got serious. I'm like, man. But I had this idea in my head. It was the whole, you know, hey, read your Bible and pray 15 minutes a day, keep the devil away, kind of a thing. That was sort of my internal motto. And so I'm like, I gotta read my Bible and pray every day. So I got it in, I set times around, I did all the things. But I didn't get why. I didn't understand why I was reading my Bible and praying. In fact, I think I was reading my Bible and praying because I thought that's how I kept God happy with me. And I had it all backwards. And so what I would do is I'd open up, and I remember, I, I remember one day I opened up to Galatians and the fruits of the Spirit. I'm like, man, this is a good place to start. Okay, I want to be like Jesus. I need to have his fruit. Here we go. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. And I remember getting done. I'm like, oh my goodness, that's like oh, super overwhelming. Lord, I can't do that much today. So how about we just pick one? So I chose joy. I will be joyful today. I am not lying to you. When I say within 30 minutes of that Bible study I was in my car and I flipped the guy off. The joy had already left. Stop creating your own holy to-do list. Sit, put your pen down on the piece of paper and open his word and say, Holy Spirit, You know what I need. I don't. What do you know I need to worry about right now? What's the thing that you need to make more like Jesus in me? This is what we're talking about. This is the faith. This is what we mean when we say abide in Christ. Abide in him. Abide in his word. Abide in his love. And the Holy Spirit will produce much fruit. Like, just stop for a second. You do realize when it says the fruit of the Holy Spirit, it's fruit that comes from the Holy Spirit, not you. Wow, I'm ranting. Got to keep going. For those of you who lean towards perfectionism, the possibility or reality of failed obedience will lead you to try even harder to achieve knock it off. <laughs> for those who are on the other side of that, the possibility or reality of failed obedience will lead you to stop trying altogether. In both cases, you're both gonna be racked with guilt and shame. And for those of you who float in between, that's like a whole other world of misery unto itself. This is not the way of Christ. If you can accurately, deeply answer all the Sunday school questions about the Bible, if you can sit for hours in deep theology and doctrine and talk and wax eloquent, but you do not have love, you are nothing. If the people around you and all your awesomeness look at you this year compared to next year and go I don't feel like you've really moved the needle on becoming more like Christ though that's a problem you too have missed the point of the Bible I love Larry Crabb huge book that changed my whole understanding of this whole concept we're talking about it's called Inside Out (laughs) I highly recommend it he's passed away now huge loss, and I remember, I think it was in that book, reading, and he, he just made the simple statement, I've never forgotten it. When you come to scripture, and you study it, and you meditate it, and you walk away from it, if you feel better about yourself, in the sense of you feel a little more holy, a little more righteous, a little more self-righteous, you probably missed the point. Because the way you know that you've come to the Word and the Spirit that Christ is talking about, it will always produce two things, humility and love. It won't make you feel better or like you're further along. It'll actually go, oh my goodness, whoa. Not to defeat, but just to stay in that humble, holy place of poor spirit. And you're going to walk away thinking two things about love, I am loved by my Father. And because of that, I can love other people as He has loved me. That's how you know you got it. I think that's really helpful. The misunderstanding of this core teaching of Christ has led to two discipleship killers in the church over the years. I think it's led to probably a lot more than that, but I'll just and I'll try and do this as quickly as possible. The first is this, works salvation. Works salvation. Every Protestant in the room is going, yep, amen. Thank you, Martin Luther. Save us from that one. Don't worry, we'll get ours. Works salvation. The wrong grid for measuring whether I'm in the kingdom of heaven or not. If my good works outweigh outweigh my bad, God will show favor to me and let me in. And whatever version of that. I pray enough, serve enough, confess enough, give enough. God will grant me eternal life. He will love me and show favor on me. And here's the killer. You will never be enough, you will never do enough, and you will never have enough to meet his standards. You don't have the strength or the stuff. Ephesians 2 But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us up with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Verse eight, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not from yourself. It's a gift of God not by works so that no one can boast. Sorry, Pharisees. You will never do enough works to get where you need to be. Here's the good news of Jesus Christ. Your faith is based on his faithfulness, not yours. Stop trying to please him and be perfect put your faith in the truth that all you have to do is receive his love you don't have to earn it amen isn't that amazing second is this works sanctification for all of us you got like yep yeah, yep yeah, sal- you preach it pastor mm-hmm. here's where I think we get lost and here's where most of my experience has been personally and pastorally We're still using the wrong grids for measuring our discipleship. And we think that being disciples means I have to obey all of Jesus' commandments in my own life to keep his love and favor. It's like, no, 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 I couldn't do anything to earn it, but man, now that I got it, I gotta like work really hard to keep it. No, no, you don't. Making other disciples, I have to be salt and light to others to keep his love and his favor. Is that why you're sharing Christ? Because you're afraid God might love you less if you don't? Here's the good news. You don't. (laughs) You don't. Your righteousness is based on his righteousness. You don't have the strength, the smarts, or the sufficiency to be righteous or to make somebody else righteous. So stop striving for it. Colossians 2, 6. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus Lord, continue to live your lives in him. Galatians 3, Paul. This is Paul again. He says this. You foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you before your very eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified I would like to learn just one thing from you Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard it's talking about their salvation becoming a Christian for the first time Are you so foolish verse 3 after beginning by a means of the spirit are you now trying to finish by a means of the flesh And Paul is saying knock it off Stop trying you didn't do something to earn your salvation. You can't do something to earn your sanctification. Remember sanctification? It's that ongoing process of being molded into the image of Christ that we've been talking about. My spiritual formation. You were saved because you heard the good news and you put your entire life into it. That's what it means to say you obeyed it. Do the same thing as you walk with Christ. Christ. Listen to his word humbly with a contrite spirit and tremble at it. Put his desires above your own. That's our job. Good works are works of obedience that come from abiding in Christ. Stop trying to please him and be perfect. Put your faith in his perfection. Stop trying to earn his love and his favor and just receive it because it's right there free for the taking. This is why you hear me say constantly, I don't obey the Lord to please him and gain his love. I obey the Lord because I've already got it. And that is the power of Christ and his Holy Spirit. That's where the fruit comes from. I'm going to ask our worship team and our elders, pastors to come and join me here at the front for communion. And while they do that, can I just ask you quietly where you're at to just take some time to pray? If you need to close your eyes, whatever you need to do to eliminate distraction. If you need to look up, sometimes I find it's great just to even look up at the reminder of the cross and the Holy Spirit. Whatever you need to do. Are you still trying to earn God's love by saying and doing the right things? Could you just take these questions to the Lord in prayer? Have you become a spiritual perfectionist? Have you realized how exhausted you are yet? Maybe you're sitting here today and you've just given up altogether. Maybe you're sitting here today and you've had nothing to do with Jesus. You've just been trying to do the whole thing by yourself. As we come to the table, as we come to the bread and the cup and the reminders of the way of Christ, would you allow the Holy Spirit to remind you that he already did all the work for you? He's taking care of the righteousness part. He's taking care of the perfection. He's taking care of the faith. Would you take this time to confess where you've been trying to earn what he has already earned for you? Would you just take a moment and do that? Could I ask you just to stand as we close our time of prayer? thank you thank you that you didn't just ask us to do stuff you came and you did it for us and in your full humanity you were obedient to the will of the Father to live a sinless life, to die horribly on a cross in our place buried for three days and through the power of the Holy Spirit risen to life Lord, we have nowhere else to go but you. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would forgive me where I have attempted to communicate such an important message in my own strength. I don't have what it takes the smarts to clarify this. So I would ask you in the authority of Christ and the power that you use to raise him from the dead for all listening to this message. Would you make it clear? Would you open hearts? Would you open eyes? Would you open ears to see, to hear, to know who Jesus is? Would you break every lie and every stronghold of the enemy that is keeping anyone from hearing the good news, whether it is for the first time or the millionth? Would you remove blindness and obstacles to know? To know that we can stop striving. Stop striving to earn your grace and your love and favor and just receive it. Bring freedom from condemnation and make us more free to joyfully surrender our entire lives to Christ. Free to become slaves to Christ and to others. We come and die to ourselves and learn that this kind of death is what brings life. Speak and move in us, Holy Spirit, we pray. And we pray this in the power of and the beauty of the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Listen, if you need to go, please do that. If you need to stick around and talk, would you do that too? These guys are all up here, all ready to go. I didn't tell you this, but hang around. Hang around. Come up. Let's talk. Let's pray. And uh, let's do business with God and find that freedom. God bless you. Talk to you soon. Thank you.